0: Welcome to Golden Beer Talks
1: <laughs>
0: Welcome, good evening. We're gonna get started. Thank you for coming. Welcome, welcome. We're gonna get going on our program this evening. We're gonna ask about maybe turning down that background i I'm yeah. yeah generally not in favor of shutting off the beatles but for this occasion <laughs> exactly. let's just finish that finish that out we begin and end with gratitude and we have many things for which to be grateful as we come to the end of 2018 here at golden beer talks we are deeply grateful for the windy saddle hosting us and taking such good care of us these guys are awesome We are grateful to goldentoday.com for promoting our events and keeping our community in good stead. If you haven't yet, you should definitely get on their list and visit that website. We are grateful to Bobby and Allison for buying the very special table that we have this evening and supporting Beer Talks. The folks who sponsor these tables at our annual auction help us to buy gifts yeah (laughs) that is not necessary (laughs) just a little busy right now (laughs) these folks help us make sure that we're able to keep doing what we're doing and provide gifts for our speakers and we are very grateful indeed um on the very special table we have a donated flower arrangement which is gorgeous and it's made by... Yeah, there we go. Oh. <laughs> it is made by a company called Flower Fix, a full-service floral studio providing stylish flowers for home, business, and gifts, specializing in floral workshops. Apparently, some of them even take place here at Windy Saddle. And um, so, anyway, this is a good company to keep in mind if you are in the market for some lovely flowers or some learnings about some flowers. Flower Fix is the name. And I think there are some business cards available if you would like one. That is a great question. I'm going to look on this. This doesn't have an address. Oh, let me just read it to you. (laughs) They are located... You know what? This is 2018. You don't put your address on anything. They are located at (laughs) theflowerfix.com. They live there. The internet has gotten so crowded because everyone moved there. Yeah. Yes, the dot-com neighborhood. Awesome. <laughs> we are going to move on to our beer ambassador. He's going to come up and talk about the beers we have. We, um, we'll have our talk tonight. Then we will take a break. If you need more beer, after you hear what he has to say, we will have a break between the talk and the Q&A. You will so more beer. You might need more, you may, more beer, more it may be needed. <laughs> For now, let's bring up Frank Blaha. He's our beer ambassador. Thank you, Frank.
1: Thank you, Whitney, and welcome to everybody for our last Golden Beer Talks of the Year. Uh, so tonight we're featuring New Terrain Brewing, and we've got two beers from New Terrain. Uh, we have the Golden Haze IPA, so it's a New England IPA, so it's very fruity and citrusy, uh, very low on bitterness. It's, it's really a very, I think, delicious beer. And um, we had it once before exactly one year ago. We had it in December of 2017 because i found the file on my computer I was like, oh look at this exactly one year ago and then the second beer it's a it's a little darker it's called punky masala and i think it uh basically started life as a brown ale but it's got uh some hint of pumpkin and i'd say stronger flavors of spice and that's masala which is an indian spice that's a variety of different things blended together and can be widely variable so punky masala and um uh, Don Sweetkind, one of the other organizers he 's um, not here tonight, him and his wife are out of town, but uh, it was the tenth beer that we tried that night, and it was the last one that that we picked out of the whole bunch and it was also the last one that we tried and I was sort of opposed to even putting it on the list because I find a lot of the pumpkin beers to be excessively sweet. And I we tried it, and we both thought, well, now that, that's very interesting. You know, it, it's not a super heavy beer. Uh, it's It's got a lot of savory, spicy flavors and not heavy. Uh, and so we decided, and it's a seasonal beer. So when it runs out and they figure it's going to run out in the next week, you won't be able to get it till something like September or October of next year again. So, Punky, 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 Punky. Masala. We, Punky we, Punky we, yeah, well, so... Uh, an interesting beer and that's one of the things new terrain which is over there in the uh uh, coors uh, kind of industrial park and their address is on our signs Uh, it's something like one anyway it's over near 44th and McIntyre and it's a beautiful facility nice high ceilings with lots of windows facing the mountains lots of indoor and outdoor seating nice fireplace they also have a meeting room in back the the terminus meeting room so you can actually rent a room if you want to have a private meeting uh and you know they're very friendly and they are also kid dog and horse friendly but they do request that the dogs and the horses stay outside i don't have a dog but i do have a horse so figure it out i i i I can tell you this Yes, and almost always have a food truck with a nice selection of um, food. (laughs) I can tell other people have been there. We've never been (laughs) But if you haven't been there, you should go. And the bands, do; they have bands. Yep, so they are kind of like Golden Beer Talks. Uh, They support the community, so they make beer available and they donate beer and they support different events like Golden Beer Talks and they also have a number of events of their own like in the summer i know that they had a running club like i'm not sure if you ran before or after the beer but in any case they had a running club and in terms of uh, events that they are doing like in the next couple of days just to give you an idea today from six to seven they have a yoga class going on i can see yoga with beer you know like between poses take a sip um Tomorrow, from 4 to 9, they have the Ski and Snowboard Tuning Workshop going on there. And then Thursday, from 6 to 9, they've got live music from uh, Music by the Mesas is the name of the group. So uh, they're very much into community, very friendly, but don't bring your horse in. Tonight, they had 19 beers on tap. They have it broken down into general categories of you know, different sorts of beers. So Bitter and Bright was one of the categories with five beers. And your um, New England IPA, the Golden Haze IPA, was one of those. And then they had a a number of other categories, including a gluten-free beer from Holiday. Lee. So it was the only featured beer there that wasn't their own. So 18 of the 19 were their own beers. And they also had some non-alcoholic options. So I, uh, I very much encourage you to visit New Terrain Brewing, a great place. And with that... I'm going to turn it over to Jim Clark, who is our speaker for us in the spring of 2017. He's from the AP. If you weren't here for that presentation, he's going to introduce our speaker. Thank you very much.
2: You, uh, you folks were very kind to me in the spring of uh, 2017. You packed the house for me, and I hope uh, those of you who were here and listened are still practicing the, what we talked about you know, have a broad uh, diet of media sources, make sure they're professional, you know, have your bullshit meter really finely tuned, all that stuff. Okay.
3: Subscribing.
2: Subscribing, because it turns out journalists and their children need to go to college and eat and things like that. Yeah, you all know, stuff like that. Um, Uh, New Terrain Brewing Company, by the way, uh, let me endorse that. I I never give product endorsements, but I love New Terrain because it's between Lookout Mountain and my house. And after I climb Lookout Mountain on my bike, more than once I've stopped at New Terrain. (laughs) Um, So I am uh, on the board of directors of the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition, which is uh, uh, Jeff's uh, organization. He's the executive director. And the reason I'm on the board is because government transparency Is really for me journalistically the whole ball game. It's the whole ball game. We exist to keep government honest and the laws that we have in Colorado, open meetings and open records laws are complex sometimes but they're there for everybody's use. Do you want to know who the highest paid teacher is in your school district? That's how you get that information. Do you want to know why the mayor's street gets plowed before anyone (laughs) else's? That's how you find out. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Roberts is a dear friend of mine. You've read his bio, so I won't uh, elaborate on that. But uh, give him a big round of applause. He works very hard.
3: Thank you all very much. Um, I'm told that there are only two members of the city council, the mayor and a city council member here, so we're not in danger of violating the Sunshine Law, right? (laughs) So that's that's a good thing. I don't think we would... Even if there were three in a quorum, I don't think we would be. But no problem with that. So i got to say that I give workshops to... College students and new in newsrooms and all that. This is probably the coolest event, the <laughs> coolest speaking thing, you know. T- talking about public records with a beer is 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 actually probably is is better to do it that way because some of the things that I'm going to talk about aren't so uplifting. Um, so you probably all. Some of you may remember a time when there were a lot more journalists in Denver, in Colorado. Um, you could say that you know that we, were, we were kind of teaming with them at one point compared to today. I was one of those people. I started at the Denver Post in 1984. Uh, my first job was covering the city of Lakewood, where I met my wife, um, and then the city of Aurora. Um, the post at that time and the Rocky Mountain News had reporters all over the state in, you know, really if they weren't full-time staff writers they were stringers people like that covering cities, counties school districts being the eyes and ears of the public Um, doing all sorts of you know, whether it's just attending the meetings Getting records, watching out. I was one of those people for a while. I ended up covering the State House. I did investigations. I actually remember doing something relating to kind of this area. Does anybody remember the Mount Carbon Metropolitan District? There was a big scandal in the early nineties that I worked on stories about that that involved savings and loans and millions of dollars that were that were poured into this thing that was supposed to, be a development that was supposed to rival the tech center that never got built, and it contributed to the collapse of a savings and loan in Pennsylvania. And, and yeah. Um, and uh, a developer, I think, eventually, I think he went to prison. So, you know, that's what Jim was talking about. You know, journalists out there, being the eyes and ears of the public, digging into things, keeping people in government honest. um, It's not like that anymore. I mean, there was a time when the Post and the Rocky, I was a veteran of those that newspaper war. There was a time when um, there were more than 500 journalists between the two newspapers covering Colorado and covering the metro area. those people were attending those meetings, digging into records, things like that and and um, those days are long gone. The Rocky, of course, is gone. The post newsroom is down to 60, 65, 60 something like that i was i was they don 't even have a presence in downtown Denver anymore. The newsroom is in Adams County in their printing plant. I was there a couple months ago doing during a workshop so Our organization, the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition, it used to be called a council, is actually 31 years old. Um, And for most of that time, it was an all-volunteer organization. When I was at the Post, I was one of those volunteers. We would uh, put on forums at the tattered cover every once in a while. We'd give out awards. We'd meet quarterly and talk about legislation, things like that. But it was a very low key operation. And about six years or so ago, as the news industry in Colorado was contracting, Jim and, and some other members of the board decided we're going to try to beef this up and provide a service both to journalists throughout the state and to the public. Um, people who want to know more about how to keep, you know. Hold, hold governments accountable by, by looking at records, um, knowing how to do that, being a resource really for, for mostly journalists, but anybody else who needs it. Well, it turns out that it's not just journalists who, who are interested in this stuff. Um, in my job, so I've been doing this now for five and a half years, and so a big part of my job is just taking questions about freedom of information Issues that people have. Um, Barb contacted me a couple months ago about about something. Um, I've now so in the last five years, I personally have taken about twenty three hundred questions, and uh, six hundred this year alone. And about forty percent of those come from the public. The rest are mostly journalists. Some people actually in government every once in a while. Um and so there's a definite interest in this there are there are um reasons why there is so much activity for what I do and part of that is because these laws aren't always followed shockingly <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for a drink <laughs>
0: now, now we've well that.
3: <laughs> so what I thought I'd do, you know, usually when I do, when I do these things I'm doing, I've got a PowerPoint and I'm talking about the laws and I'm I'm helping people understand the laws. That's not what I I was told that you guys wanted. So what I thought I would do is tell you some stories uh, from our hotline, actually things that ended up on my blog cuz I write about these issues. I consider open government to be my beat. Like, I'm still a journalist. I still write stories um, for my blog. So ColoradoFOIC.org is the website. And if there's a particular case that I hear about, perhaps I've been able to help the person or I've tried to help. I always try to help. Um, I end up often writing about these things because I think it's, it's really good to let people know um, that, these issues are happening around the state you know there, there are some things that are kind of systemic um, the first one I'll talk about actually involves criminal justice records it's a bit of a downer they're all kind of actually bit of downers that's why it's good to have a beer in your hand while while you're doing this because it's, it's news but but um, I guess the point I want to make by telling you these stories um, is to give you an idea of what we do how we try to help and what the issues are even out there, that people encounter that you may not even be thinking about. I think we all kind of, when the post and the rocky were at their at their strongest, and and uh, I think we kind of took this stuff for granted that that the reporters were out there being the eyes and ears of, of for the public, digging these things out. And there's fewer of them to do that. Sometimes citizens have to do it on their own, and and these issues. Um, can really um, point out that that we've got, it's not all perfect out there. So I want to first tell you about a person named Rochelle Reynolds. She actually doesn't even live in Colorado. She lives in Akron, Ohio. So one day, about three years ago, I'm sitting at my desk, uh, which is at the Colorado Press Association. They donate office space to, to me, to the organization. And I get a call from this lady in Akron, Ohio. Why is she calling me? Well, her son um, was 25 years old, and he had died in Olathe, Colorado, in a confrontation with police, a really, really strange confrontation with police. He, uh, He was a registered sex offender. He had a warrant out for his arrest. He was stopped by an officer in Olathe out on the Western Slope, ends up in this very strange confrontation where, according to the autopsy report, which is the only record she was able to get, he stabbed himself fatally with a sword-shaped letter opener while a police officer was tasing him and then handcuffed him. Couldn't be stranger. So it's like it's like really this is what the, this is what the autopsy said, and so this mom, she's the mom, wants to know. she's like I don't believe this. I don't, you know, I, she has all sorts of questions, as any parent would have, about you know their child dying in a circumstance like that. So she starts making records requests, and she and she's denied, and sh- she hires a lawyer in Ohio to make records requests, and what they tell her. Because she wants all the police reports, she wants all the investigative records, and they tell her that it would be contrary to the public interest to release these records. That's what they tell her. And the lawyer made two separate requests. The second request was after the investigation was all said and done, the officer was cleared, and the answer she got was it would be contrary to the public interest. So we have two public records laws in Colorado. The one you're probably the most familiar with, you might heard about, is the CORA, the Colorado Open Records Act, but we have another one called the Colorado Criminal Justice Records Act. And under that law, police agencies can withhold records if they make a determination that it would be contrary to the public interest to release them, and that's what Rochelle Re- Reynolds was getting that answer. So she calls me to see if I can help. Her, f- her daughter found, found us on the Internet. And I actually end up, ended up making a request because it didn't make any sense to me. It, it was The investigation was over and done with. What could be contrary to the public interest, especially when the public in this case was the mom. Um, and so I made a request. And I pointed all those things out. The investigation was over. I got her the records. And um, I ended up writing about it for my blog and asking a couple of times the, the officials who had withheld the records, why? Why was it contrary to the public interest? And all they would say is, you know, we, it was. We can't tell you. So that's one of the things, and I told you it would be kind of depressing, <laughs> so that's why it's good to have a beer in your hand. Uh, that's one of the things that people sometimes encounter, things that just don't make sense, answers like that, that you know, because the law gives them the ability to withhold records if they want to, I'm sure the city of Golden doesn't, wouldn't do that. Um, but some, some agencies do that. And these, these are the types of things that, that reporters deal with all the time, and sometimes, sometimes citizens. So another one, I'm going to take another sip of beer. (laughs) Mostly because I get dry. I actually was supposed to do this talk last spring, and I had no voice. Literally had no voice, so we had to to, um, reschedule. Um, Paul Houston is a guy who lives in Denver, right near the border with Sheridan. So not terribly far from here. Um, Sheridan, you know, is a little... Community on the border with Denver, he's a big opponent of Sheridan's red light cameras and their um, photo radar. This is this is I've got a picture of him on the website holding up signs. He does that sometimes. He's really he doesn't like it. Um, so and, and and sometimes these are the people that make records requests and things like that. But Paul made a records request of the town of Sheridan for the town clerk's emails, just going back the previous seven months. So emails, um, if you didn't know, emails of public officials, the mayor or people who work for the city or whatever, those can be and often are public records. It depends on the content of those emails if they involve public business they are very likely subject to the open records law so
2: text messages on uh, community supplied phones government supplied phones
3: yes, yes although the city of denver is claiming not yes. right now exactly. text messages on, on uh, yes it actually but actually it doesn't necessarily have to be a government owned device they it's the content of the messages that determine whether it's a public record or not. So Paul Houston makes this request of the town clerk of Sheridan for her emails, and he lists 10 search terms. So going back the previous seven months, it doesn't seem all that complicated, right? But he gets a reply that it's going to be $20,000 to do this. And they want sixty seven hundred and fifty dollars just to start just to start it, so he calls me what's you know what can I do and so you know what I thought at least I could do is get to the bottom of why they think it's twenty thousand dollars because that nobody i mean there's nobody who could even begin to afford that. Um, I frequently hear about people getting charged hundreds or thousands of dollars for records, public records. And there's a problem there, because um, it effectively makes pub- public records no longer public when that happens. And I'm not saying that this happens all the time. It doesn't. Um, but, but there are I hear plenty of examples of this uh, to know that it's an issue. So what I did in this case is I talked to the town clerk, she deletes all of her emails after she reads them. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, number one, that that that's kind of an issue there because, yeah, I mean, some things are important. You know, if you're in government, you're probably you have a records retention schedule that you're that you're required to have, and that gives you a lot of discretion over what should be kept or what not kept, but not. It's you can't just delete everything. Um, there are things that, that should be kept for a certain period of time. She deletes all of her emails. That's what she said. And then I t- she referred me to the, the town's uh, IT person. So I talked to that person. They were completely not set up to archive any kind of emails. No, even, they don't get a lot of public records requests, so they weren't even thinking that way. And so, what he told me that they would have to do to just go back seven months in time, and you think about like you know, you, you're if you have a Gmail account, it probably has your emails from ten years ago on there, right? And they're still there. Well, he said that they would have to create yesterday's database, recreate yesterday's database, search it for those ten search terms that Paul Houston wanted them to search. And then uh, go back and create the database from two days ago, do the same thing. Then go back and recreate the database from three days ago, do the same thing. And it was 651 hours at $30 per hour. So it was $19,740 to do this. So. He never got his records, obviously, because they just weren't going to do it. And they were going to, well, after I did my article about it, they were going, I don't know what they ended up doing, but they were thinking about creating a new system that might be more amenable to public records requests. Um, So that's the type of thing that I try to help people with. Or if I can't help, like in that case, I at least expose it so that people know it happens people you know maybe there's a better way Um, because i don't think that that's probably just a problem with the town of sheridan it's probably a, a problem with some smaller governments who haven't thought too much about this type of thing so here's another one also involving kind of a smaller government but it's a county elbert county you guys know where that is right south east of denver go down to Castle Rock and take a left. and You'll eventually get there. I get a call one day from somebody who lives in Albert County who is looking at the county assessor's website. So this is the website where everybody's residential property is, is on there and how they're taxed. So you can look up your neighbor if they own a home, see how they're taxed compared to how you're taxed. It's a public record. Um, assessment records but she says you know I could see mine on there and my neighbors but I know the assessor owns a house and hers isn't on there and the treasurer's not on there and the sheriff isn't on there and a couple of county commissioners I know they own houses here but their records aren't on there either can they do that? and so I put on my reporter's hat and um, you know, it turns out there's no law that says they have to put anything on a website, right? There's n- they don't have to do that. But CORA, the Open Records Act, makes assessment records public records. So I went down to uh, Kiowa, which is the county seat, and I met with the county assessor. I told her exactly who I was and what I was doing. I was thinking about you know, I wanted to look into this and maybe write about it for my blog. And, you know, could I have, could I see these records, you know, make an official Open Records Act request, even though they're not on the website? And she said, well, I'll show you mine, but I I can't show you the other ones without asking their permission. It's like, okay, well, I didn't think that's how the Open Records Act works. I have been had been dealing with it. A lot by then, and had an idea, and you know, went back to my office and and talked to a lawyer. I work with lawyers. My board president is a lawyer, um, and and they specialize in this kind of stuff. And I just wanted to confirm, you know, I was looking at this the right way. I even talked to um, the state property tax administrator, and and um, uh, so wrote my story, kind of reported it out, got her, you know, interviewed the assessor, interviewed some other county officials. Well, they claimed that they had passed a resolution 20 years ago or something like that that allowed county officials to opt out from having their own records available. First of all, there was no, nobody could find that resolution and it would have been contrary to, to the Open Records Act anyway. And, and, uh, uh, so I wrote my story and, and, about three days later, everything was online. You know, they were, they, they gave me the records. It was like, oh, so what, but why do they do that? You know, my suspicion was that they didn't, and they would never say this, that they didn't want their other people to know how they were taxed compared to how most people there were taxed. But what they said was, um, what the county assessor told me is that, um, they were fearful for their safety. That um, they didn't want people being able to look up their property, and I said, "Well, you know, when you ran, you know, when you ran for office, and you registered with the Secretary of State's office, your address is there." And she said, "Oh, it's not that. Everybody knows where everybody lives down here, but but our floor plans might be on there, and there might be some photos. And people don't like us. I one one of them told me that somebody had threatened to to." To actually bomb their house, and so they didn't want these records available to the public. So that's a, an extreme example, you know. An ex- ma- excellent example, but an excellent example. And, it, and I need another sip of beer. <laughs> so I guess I'm telling you these things because it's not it's not boring. You know, my my days are, are aren't always full with things ex- as extreme as these but i get enough of them to know that there are not golden but <laughs> some cities some some uh, counties some school districts where they just either they're not i wouldn't say that they're bad actors but necessarily but they're just not thinking always in terms of of public information and these are these are the records you know these laws Cora is 50 years old this year these are the tools that help journalists even though we have fewer of them than we used to and members of the public keep an eye on things hold government accountable it's kind of a you know it's it's really a pillar of our democracy to 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 be able to ha- have information to know you know, so we can we can keep an eye on things that's that 's really what it 's about, and so that 's what our organization does i 've actually got a few more of these types of of examples. Um, did you know that you could be sued for requesting public records? yeah yeah, you can be sued uh, you 've been yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a really recent one. I I just wrote this wrote this story on my blog November fifteenth. Um, Peonia, pa- a guy who actually was on the town board, uh, makes a requ- He had been on the pa- town board, but he makes this this request of the town uh, because there's a there's a guy who a former uh, a, a, a town maintenance worker who. Who um, is wrong? He was in a workers' a comp situation, and and uh, he's trying to get records that that show this this guy was wronged, and so he makes a request for emails and a bunch of other records um, related to this this city employee's case, and he's denied. So this is the former town trustee who's denied these records. They claim that there's medical information in there and other stuff, and so they just, they just deny him. And um, so he thinks about, well, you know, so in Colorado, by the way, your only recourse if you're denied public records is to sue, Um, Not every state is like that. About more than half the states have some other way of challenging, appealing a denial of public records. In Colorado, your only recourse is to to go to court. So this town attorney files a notice of intent to sue, because he thinks that he's been wrongly denied these public records. And instead, the town of Peonia sues him. So there's a provision in the CORA, which is pretty obscure, that allows government entities to take a records requester to court if they think they, if they say they don't know whether records are public or not. And if, no matter what the outcome of, of it is, they're not bound to pay the requester's attorney's fees. Um, however, they have to do, make a good faith effort first to determine whether the records are public or not. And so, a judge in Peonia just ruled that the town made no good faith effort at all to determine whether these records were public or not. Which they were public. Um, the judge determined that they absolutely were public, and he's ordered attorneys' fees, which I think is about fifteen thousand dollars, be paid to this. To this. Now, the case is on appeal, so I, we don't we don't know actually what's going to happen. But you know, it's. The, the judges, the judge came down pretty hard on the on the uh, on the town of, of Peonia. Um, you know, he says at one point, you know, they they claimed that these records contained medical information, which they didn't. They the they said something very vague about this this employee um, having to take painkillers, but there was it was all really vague. And and what the judge said is that you know you could you can claim that all sorts of records are, are exempt by throwing things into records like that. He said, allowing Paonia to interpret Cora's medical data exemption so as to exempt the entire investigative report about this thing would limit access to public business and deprive the citizens that, of that town of the very information that the Colorado General Assembly has deemed necessary to our, our democratic government. So he's basically saying that that the town was was really throwing a wrench into the whole notion that the public should have information about how how its its town government works. So that type of thing could happen too. Um, how how are we doing on time? Why don't we take a break and come back for QA? Okay. Well, yeah. I've got other examples. I could tell you a little bit more about the type of thing uh, that I do and the other the other thing I want to mention is some of the work in the legislature that we do. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Why don't I mention that? So this is a big part of what I do all day long is get, take questions like this, but our organization does more than that. So I obviously write about these, these types of issues. Um, and then we work in the legislature to try to improve the laws and we've had some success doing that too. So, um, a couple of years ago, there was a bill that was passed that we were very instrumental in that ensured your right to public records in digital formats. So databases, spreadsheets, things like that If public records are kept in those formats. You're not now entitled to them in those formats. This came out of a case out of CSU where the Fort Collins um, newspaper wanted a salary database uh, of, of all the... Um, faculty. They wanted to do a uh, an analysis of of um, discrepancies by gender. And the university pointed them to this big book in the library that was just it was printed out from a database and said, go at it. And they had to recreate the database in order to do any kind of analysis. I used to do data journalism at the Denver Post. So this is, was an issue for me. Worked a couple years trying to get this bill passed, and we finally did that. Um, uh, This past year and this coming session, we will be doing some more work on um, access to police records. Like I mentioned at the outset with that case with the mom whose son died in Olathe, we have this criminal justice records law that gives police agencies very broad discretion to withhold any kind of records. Body cam footage is a big deal these days, any kind of thing. So we're also focused on um, records of, of when police are accused of misconduct. And sometimes cities have to pay out hundreds of thousands of dollars to people who make claims when this happens, but you can never find out any specifics about what actually happened and why police officers get cleared. So Aurora had to pay out $100,000 or $150,000 to a man who was tased in the back for really no apparent reason a couple of years ago. There's video of this, which is awful to look at, where he just kind of falls flat on his face. Um, He hadn't been doing anything wrong they paid out all this money to him but and they cleared the officer but when you make a request for the actual records um, you're denied contrary to the public interest even though taxpayers are paying to settle this case there was a young woman who was slammed to the floor of a uh, of a hospital she'd been taken uh, into custody by Colorado Springs police slammed to the floor uh, uh, of a of a hospital, her face is all bloody. City paid out a hundred thousand dollars to her. You can't get any records about about that either. Not every state is like that either. In some other states, these records are open. We're working on that type of thing. Um, last year, last session, um, the county coroners tried to close autopsy reports on minors. Um, you might have heard something about this. So. Um, autopsy reports are public records in Colorado they're actually Cora records not criminal justice records Um, and their thought was to protect the privacy of families and they said to help stop copycat teenage suicides which didn't make any sense to us because we've never heard of a teenager making a Cora request for an autopsy report (laughs) nevertheless this bill passed the legislature overwhelmingly we we and others testified that these records have been used um, by journalists to expose problems with the child welfare system so um, kids who had been abused while while in um, as wards of the of the state um, channel 9 and the Denver Post had done uh, extensive projects using autopsy reports um, as part of uh, part of the records to do this um, the governor listened to us and vetoed the bill so we expect that that will probably come up back up again. And
2: I'm still gobsmacked that he did that. It yeah. was such a close run thing.
3: Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, that's probably going to come back again. Um, this coming session, we hope you might have seen stories in the Denver Post um, about court cases that have been suppressed, um, whole court cases that you can't, you know, both criminal and civilly, that... Are over and done with you can't if you wanted to look up the records that it's like they don't exist um, and uh, there's other examples of this thing we're trying to get um, some legislation on setting a standard for the sealing of of court records so that's another thing that we're working on and I think that's most right. thanks So we we have a a newsletter, an email newsletter, and uh, if you want to get on that, uh, I've got a sign-up sheet. We also have some sunshine law booklets that um, I'm now in the process of rewriting this thing, but I've got a bunch of them up here that you could take with you.
0: Great, and we'll come back for Q and A here shortly. (laughs) I think we're back. All right. It's pretty. It's um. I think if the choice is Dr. Dale or me, I think I know where the attention's going to go. Yeah. Yay, Dr. Dale! You're doing great.
2: I'm a schmoozy.
0: You're schmoozing I was, as you I was should. I'm
2: opening the records up. For- <laughs>
0: I think there's probably some pent-up Q&A in the room. So we're going to bring Jeff back up here to get some Q&A and some, and some answers to your urgent questions. So you can just call on at will. If you don't mind repeating the question sure. so that it gets recorded, yeah. that would be great. Use your best judgment.
3: I will do that. Yes? The
1: lady from Akron whose son stabbed himself with a... Yeah. Did ever get
3: yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I so exactly. did, did, the, did the lady from Akron, Ohio, ever get her information? Yeah, I was able to get that information for her. For her. There were 400 pages. There were a bunch of disks. There was a ton of stuff. They gave the information to me. I think it could have been the way I just wrote the request as opposed to the way, the way they were doing it. And so I had all the stuff sent to her in, in Ohio, and I think she, you know, she was very appreciative of that. You know, her thing and, and the conclusion of those records wasn't really all that much different than what the autopsy showed. It was just a very, very strange case. But if you put yourself into her position, you know, you'd want to probably know as much as you could about what actually happened and why they were denying her. You know, and I asked, I asked, you know, why did you, why did you give the records to me? And not her, and they wouldn't even give me an explanation for that, you know, which was just so unsatisfactory for everybody. I thought, yeah. Well, this is a little different, um, thing but I'm just
0: wondering when you're on a jury, um, you know, you give your name and your address, and then they always reassure you and go, well, if this was, if this the case don't worry, well, don't worry, that'll be confidential. You know? mm-hmm.
3: I think jurors' names, and you may know this better than me, after after a case is over, it's it, it, it becomes a public record, but not the addresses and things like that, I don't think.
2: Sometimes, sometimes in extraordinary circumstances, like mob trials, where people end up dead, you know, a, a judge will say no.
3: Right, right. So the public records laws are written with a balance in mind um, there are the the CORA, the Colorado Open Records Act, says at the very outset of it that all records are open all records of really state excuse me, state and local government because we're not dealing with the federal FOIA here, um, are open for inspection unless so the unless is if there's something enumerated in the CORA itself that says that they either are Closed or may be closed, um, or if there's something else in state law somewhere, or if there's a court ruling, um, or even a federal law sometimes. So there are exceptions that are built into the law or built in elsewhere in the law, and a lot of that is about a you know is supposed to be about a balance. So that something you're talking about is really a matter of privacy, and so there are certain things in the law that are supposed to protect. Certain people's privacy versus you know what the public interest is. So an example of that is our personnel records of public employees. So there are, and this is this is misinterpreted a lot. And there are some, but there are some court rulings about this. So uh, the Cora says that personnel files are not open for public public inspection, except. There's a there's a an interpretation of what is meant by a personnel file, and so it's really the personal, private information of a of an employee, their home address, their home telephone number, their personal financial information that's off limits. It's not their their um, compensation. It's not records of their performance on the job. You know, th- things like things like that. Um, who is next? There was um, yeah. OK. Yeah.
2: So, so you, you sort of framed your discussion.
3: With with a lot of bad stuff. Well, <laughs> you know, are you talking about the decline of journalism yeah. through The Post and other Yeah. Well, I think there's some interesting, uh, you know, these laws aside, and perhaps the growing use, you know, people's growing use of these laws, maybe because there are fewer journalists, you know, doing this on the public's behalf. Um, uh, as far as journalism itself, itself and news, it, there's some really interesting things happening here in Colorado to try to address that. You know, the Colorado Sun emerged. I don't know if anybody's looked at that. The Colorado Sun emerged out of um, several people uh, leaving the Denver Post, fed up with the current ownership of the Denver Post. And part of the problem I didn't you know Jim might have talked about this when when he did his talk, but part of the problem of what's happened at least in Colorado is an owner of the state 's biggest newspaper that, that really doesn't care about journalism and that's you know the newspaper that I used to work for, but it's now owned by a New York hedge fund that only cares about profits. There's there's really no two ways about that. And so um, as long as they can keep sucking profit out of the Denver Post, and the Denver Post makes money. Uh, it actually makes money doing what it's doing. As long as they can keep doing that, they will do it. And who knows what will be left. And maybe somebody eventually can take it over. But, but um, to respond to that. So there's only sixty some people journalists left at the Denver Post now, but you have Colo- um, the Colorado Sun and those. There's about a dozen people there. Yeah, and he's going to hire more. Yeah, he's going to hire more, and they're getting. You know, their funding is is interesting right now. It most of it's coming from blockchain technology, um, you know, and they're also trying to get subscriptions and things like that. But is that a... Is that a sust- sustainable long term funding source? We really don't know. Um, in the meantime, the journalists that are doing the work of the Colorado Sun are great. And the work that they're doing is great. And I encourage everybody to take a look at it and yeah. support I mean, it.
2: The background there is that uh, Larry Rickman is. Yeah. yeah. Um, the background of the Col- Colorado Sun is uh, Larry Rickman, who's a 25 year AP veteran. Um, Got fed up with the Denver Post, and he approached this group called Civil in Brooklyn, and Civil is the blockchain money. Gave him seed money, um, but his subscription revenue is up pretty substantially. He's doing well. He's got 10 journalists, and the 10 journalists he took from the Denver Post are literally the A-team. He took the cream of the crop and walked out the door with them, which was brutal for the Post, uh, but it 's a good news organization. It costs five bucks a month to subscribe. You probably ought to do it if you love your country
3: and, and I would say and I would say that it, the Denver Post is, is you know as diminished as it is is still doing good stuff. there are The journalists that are there are are still very good and still doing important stories like that one I mentioned about suppressed court records and Excuse me. They're more inclined to report on the sort of the everyday happenings as opposed to what the sun is doing. The sun is doing sort of, you know, more in depth, kind of takeout type of things, magazine kind of stories. Really interesting, really good stuff. But um, so the problem that people have now is you have a bunch of different things that have cropped up. Denverite chalkbeat for your education news the Colorado independent um, is a news nonprofit that does does what's that I like you like them yeah so but you have all these different things now instead of just the post in the rocky and you have to discipline yourself to go to them um, if you are on Twitter maybe you know or Facebook you're you may be drawn to the stories there, but it's, it's a little harder than it, than it used to be to find the stuff that may be of interest to you. So that's at least where it's heading now that everybody's asking for your support too. and it's all worth supporting. I mean it, there's a reason, you know people, some people are saying you know, a lot of people don't subscribe to newspapers anymore and some, you hear some people saying, "Well, I just get my news from the internet. Well what does, what does that mean? Somebody some if you want to really trust it um, that's from a reliable source some professional journalist it needs to be paid to do that reporting and to dig up that stuff and to you know that's that's the thing and so it all comes down to that so if you want to trust the stuff that you're seeing on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and it you you're you know you want to know that it comes from somebody who knows what they're doing and they've They've, you know, really dug into something. Um, it's Somebody's got to support it financially. Well, kind of in that vein, I just wanted to kind of raise awareness. There's a recent podcast, uh, Hidden Brain, that covers yeah. uh, a, a study that was done where when cities lose local journalism, banks can charge more interest in the cities for their municipal loans because there's no longer a watchdog looking yeah, government, mm-hmm. so you're going to pay one way or another, you might as well not be in the dark. Yeah, yeah I, l- I actually listened to that today. Laura, Laura Frank, who used to be an investigative reporter for the Rocky Mountain News, who now is the vice president of news for Rocky Mountain PBS, and they just won a, won a big award today, a DuPont Award, um, which is kind of the Pulitzer of broadcast journalism, um, doing really good good stuff. Um, you know, they... they I think one the guy the host said something like if you don't buy a watch you're saving money if you don't support your police department maybe you're saving money but you're risking something big S- he made the analogy that losing news organizations losing newspapers is more like losing not supporting your police department than not buying a watch you know you're you're risking something in the long run you may not have to pay that subscription but you may end up pay, paying higher taxes um, for that um, so there are consequences for these things and it's just don't you want to know if um, your public officials are how they're spending your tax your tax dollars and you know you there are you know not in golden of course but in <laughs> it uh, there are there are you know, too many examples across the country where, where when, if somebody is not watching, um, then things can happen. Yeah. Yeah, I have a hard question. Back in the early 90s, involved with some of You were involved with our organization back in the early 90s. Yeah. Thank you. This, yeah. I do so. The so, yeah. So do, the question is whether I deal with open meetings issues in in this job, and and the answer is yes, all the time. Um, so this when um, the sunshine. So these laws, these open government laws, are generically called the sunshine laws. The open meetings law in Colorado is also f- referred to as the Sunshine Law, the Colorado Sunshine Law. It was initiated by voters in 1972. It originally just applied to state government, but now applies to to really all levels of government in Colorado. And I deal with it every day. I'm quoted in the Gazette today about an open meetings law issue, so the Colorado Springs Gazette. And here's an example. Um, so the Colorado S- Springs City Council it turns out because uh, an intrepid reporter there for the Gazette dug out a bunch of records using Cora, they've over the past three years or so have approved five and a half six million dollars worth of lawsuit settlements, totally in secret. Um, no, you know, no big deal. The p- people don't need to know about that. Um, they've they've done it all. Uh, in executive session, so an executive session is when a public body can close the door and keep the public out. And there's, there's enumerated things in the Sunshine Law, in the Open Meetings Law, about when they're allowed to do that. It's very specific. There's also a specific procedure for shutting the door to the public. They have to do announce it in a particular way. They have to give the public some idea of what they're going into executive session for. They have to cite the statute that allows them to do it. And then when they're in there, they're supposed to be limited to those things. And one of those things that they are not supposed to do are make decisions. And um, that's what the Colorado Springs City Council has been doing for the past several years with the city attorney saying it's just fine. You know, and and uh, so Steve Zansberg, our board president, um, is very adamant and has won cases about this, where even informal decision making, nodding of the head or whatever, you know, is is not something that they're supposed to be able to do in executive session. Um, but these things just never even came before the public at all, and so now actually thanks to the gazette a gazette reporter and a couple members of the city council who you know once they realized what they were doing decided to speak out about it they're changing their policy so that's what i'm quoted about in the in the gazette today saying hey you know it's great to see them taking steps to 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 rectify this
1: yeah Yeah, you mentioned the the Mount Carbon carbon yeah well Yeah. District. And I think it a it's a scandal that it's it's uh,
3: I think it was a scandal 25 years ago. Yeah. Support local journalism. (laughs) What? Support local journalism. Yeah,
0: but do
3: you know anybody who's working on that? No, but... but, So, I'm sorry. So, you know, I I mentioned that in the 90s I'd worked on some stories about a metro district out in this area, Mount Carbot. And I remember the Rocky Mountain News did a big thing about metro districts, and there was a lot of self-dealing with the developers who... We're proposing the projects and also sitting on the boards, if I remember correctly, and, and that type of thing is probably still happening. There's these things have proliferated. We have a lot of them in Colorado, um, and that's the type of thing that you know you need somebody paying attention to. I had a question. I was on the phone today with a guy, um, and he's actually kind of one of my frequent customers. Um, he, he lives, um, north of Colorado Springs and his thing is getting, trying to get records from a metro district, um, north of Colorado Springs and they are denying him the contract with their attorney. That's a, it's a con, it's a contract saying it's privileged. So this is the contract with the attorney. This is how they, how much they pay the attorney to represent the metro district. It's it's a record main maintained or kept by by the government entity, which makes it a public record. It involves the expenditure of public funds, and they're claiming that it is privileged information, which is crap. So he's thinking about suing and he's he doesn't he says he can't afford an attorney, he's trying to do this pro se. It's hard. You know, in some other states you could take that to um, an ombudsman in the state of Ohio for twenty-five bucks, you can you can make that. You can ask a uh, court of claims to review that, and and a special master would look at that and go, give them the record. <laughs> but in in Colorado, you have to sue in order to get an answer on something like that. Is that one of your legislative it it's it's not. We haven't been able to get. So I've brought that up numerous times. Um, I was on a CORA working group uh, a couple of years ago that the Secretary of State's office put together. And at the time, we had a DU law student doing a a study about that issue for us. It came out during that. We tried to get the CORA working group interested. A legislator was interested and eventually got passed. All it does is is, um, create a 14-day notice of intent to sue, and during that time, the records custodian is required to have a conversation with the requester. That's all it does. It doesn't give you any kind of appeal thing. I'm going to keep working on that until I'm until I leave this job someday.
1: Even leaving the job, Uh, how many people around the country do what, how many states have a person like you do what you do around the country?
3: -hmm. So I'm on the I'm on the board of an organization called the How many states are, are around the country have a have an organization like ours? I'm on the board of an organization called the National Freedom of Information Coalition, and it's a very small um, kind of coalition of the coalitions. And there are some states that are that are really really active, like ours, um, uh, Texas, Virginia, Tennessee, New England has one that encompasses I think five states. Um, uh, Florida is is a very active organization. Um, a lot of them are still all volunteer organizations, and they're trying to do what we're doing. Um, Montana is all volunteer. Yeah. And so what, what we didn't know when I took this job five and a half years ago and when these guys formed it is whether you could actually raise money to hire someone to do it and continue to raise money. That's part of my job as well as to raise money to... To do this uh, job and we've we 've been able to do it, so if a, a smaller state can do it anybody. Yeah. Is there a change over the last two years of how freedom of information advoc- to, uh, advocates are perceived by governments? Um, I would say that I haven't seen a change, but I do see that most people I encounter in government like. They know that people are interested in transparency, whatever that means. And and so they like to think of themselves as transparent. They like to present themselves that way. Um, and you see in the legislature interest in this type of thing. And so that, that bill, for instance, on digital public records, we thought, there was no way we would get this thing passed. And it passed on the very last day of the 2017 session. And we were kind of shocked because it appeared dead several times. And it eventually seemed like they actually wanted to do it. But we've had um, a lot of opposition to some of the things we wanted to do. The AG's office, um, uh, the current AG, not the, the incoming one, has opposed a lot of the things that we've tried to do. So we'll see what the new one wants to do.
1: I don't know. Yeah.
3: Glob- globally. Yeah.
1: Let, let, let yeah.
2: So I think what you're getting at here is is sort of an ideological question. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fascinating topic. Republicans and conservatives generally actually like the noises we make about transparency and honesty in government because they don't like government. They don't trust government. That's what it is to be a conservative in the United States these days. So frequently we find allies on that side of the aisle, but we also find allies on the left side of the aisle as well. It, it doesn't break down as neatly as some issues. It really doesn't. Um, you know, yeah, the, the subtext of your question obviously was, hey, Donald Trump is president. Oh, my God, the world is ending, whatever, Right. <laughs> Nothing's different. Let me tell you a little story about what Barack Obama did to the Associated Press in 2013. He tapped our phones and didn't tell us, which was a huge no-no, according to federal law. Tapped our phones for three months to try to find a leaker. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of behavior. And that was Barack Obama and his Justice Department. So this stuff does not break down as neatly as some other issues. It doesn't.
3: You know, you're, you're seeing more... You know, with our current president and all that, and the attacks on the on the press and, and the attacks on institutions of democracy in general, it's just it's more blatant. Um, maybe what what Obama did, um, you know, was more you know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, to, to sne- maybe maybe <laughs> sneaky. You know, we have a we have a you know a more obvious situation now uh that you know part of and part of our mission part of CFOIC's mission is defending press freedoms and so i'm i'm that's 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 something i'm always trying to do now especially on social media and things like that yeah Well, I yep. it, hmm? yep. yeah. What be, what groups uh, would benefit most if we didn't do what we do? Um, well, I mean, it kind of depends on who is running the school board, you know, running the city council, running the county commission, or some state agency, and whatever they feel like, you know, they want to do if nobody is watching. So you know what we what we try to do by you know mostly educating and doing some advocacy is empowering both journalists and the public to know how to use these these laws that essentially give them the right of access to to these to these records, these proceedings, court records, things like that. So it's anybody who doesn't want you to be looking. That's who that's who would benefit, I think. And, and Jim's right, it's not a left issue or a right issue. It's just not. Hmm? Who's got the vested interest in the, in the issue? It's who's got the vested interest in the issue. You know, and, and I, I think that, you know, I am not anti government or in any means, but I do know that, you know, there's just too many examples. You know, I started out with a bunch of examples to show you what happens. Um, And I think sometimes people who are in positions of authority, positions of of power, forget. They forget about what their responsibilities are sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, um, and this is more of a federal question because this is t- happening with things like um, environmental data and things like that that the federal, the n- new administration is is keeping, you know, it, it's things that used to be in the public domain or maybe easily available on a website or whatever are not available any anymore. Um, what can be done about that type of thing? Is I you know, well, some people. People, some people in, inside the government who care could leak, and that happens sometimes. But, but um, encourage I encourage that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think I think it's it's you know an outcry. I mean, it, showing that you care, showing you know, petitioning your government to to not keep those things secret and, and explaining to people why it matters that that climate data and things like that is uh, important the public to know about and there's other things um like that that are really you know doing those open records requests you know doing foias and things like that using the laws the laws i've been talking about you know they're there for a reason um to use them if you don't use them you know that they they're they weakened i think okay we have one
1: more question yeah we need to attend. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's two series on Showtime
2: that uh, I don't think of Showtime as Frontline, but it's really fascinated me. It Shut Up and Dribble and Enemies, President, Justice, and the FBI. I was wondering if you've watched them or have comments. And I'm not a big TV one.
3: Yeah, I've not watched that. I do have Showtime, and the one that uh, on there that we watched a few months ago was about the New York Times. That was really interesting. It was kind of this five-part inside look at the New York Times um, both the first few months of the Trump administration and also their reporting on the Me Too movement, but I hadn't seen those. Thanks. One other one other ask. I don't know if anybody's signed up for our newsletter, but if you're on uh, oh, thank you. If you're on social media, if you're on Facebook, if you'd like Colorado Freedom of Information on Facebook, And if you're on Twitter, following our Twitter feed. Thanks. Oh, Oh, well, there's that. (laughs) We are a 501c3. Thank you. (laughs)